Would you pray with me? Gracious Lord God, source of all light, by your word you give light to our souls. And so we pray that you would send your spirit to shine that light upon us, that in your light we might see light, and in your truth find perfect freedom, so that we might experience your eternal life. Through Jesus Christ our Lord we pray. Amen. Our scripture this morning comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 3, verses 11 through 18. Hear now the word of the Lord. Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and testify to what we have seen. Yet you do not receive our testimony. I have told you about earthly things and you do not believe. How can you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And just as, Jesus lift, just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish but have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Those who believe in him are not condemned, but those who do not believe are condemned already because they have not believed in the name of the only Son of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Gracious and holy God, I pray now that you would pour your Holy Spirit through me, that these words might truly become your living word to your people. And I pray that you would open up each of our hearts and minds that we might receive that word exactly in the place that we need to hear it. For we pray this in the name of our coming Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ. Amen. It has been a rather difficult week, hasn't it? It seems that almost 17 or 18,000 people have died in our country just this week as a result of COVID, pushing the total to around 300,000 deaths. That's a staggering loss of life. And on Thursday, I learned the sad news about the death of Jim McDonald, who was the founder of Meeting God in Missions in the Dominican Republic, where our church has taken mission trips for the last five years, and where thousands of people's lives have been transformed through an encounter with Jesus Christ, all because later in his life, Jim McDonald responded to the call of Jesus and gave his life away in the Dominican Republic. I've been thinking a lot about these things this week. I've been thinking about this baby born in Bethlehem and why he came. I've been thinking about why we continue to celebrate his birth 
2,000 years later. So far during Advent, we have been talking about some of the gifts of Christmas that Jesus came to give us, gifts like unity and, and healing. But as we come to the end of this difficult year and this difficult week, I thought maybe I should just cut right to the heart of the matter and talk about why Jesus came in the first place. And quite simply, Jesus was born so that you and I might live. The God who created us loves us so much that He gave His only Son who would grow up to die on a cross, that if only we would believe in Him, put our faith in Him, if we would just trust in Him, then we might have life, abundant life, life that does not end even after the funeral service is over. Jesus was born so that we might receive the gift of eternal life. And that's really what all of our theology and preaching boil down to in the end. In fact, that's really what all the other gifts that we often talk about during the Advent season, like hope and joy and peace and love, are really all about. All of these gifts are really just a part of the gift of life that God wants us to have so much that He sent Jesus, His very Word made flesh, to give it to us. It was that Word that was in the beginning with God, and it was through Him that all things came into being. And what has come into being in Him was life. And then that word became flesh in the baby in Bethlehem so that he might share that life, his life, with us. But what exactly is life? How do you measure a life? Is it just how many years you happen to live or how much you accumulate during those years? Is it how successful you are or how successful your children become? Is it how many degrees you attain or how many accolades you accrue? Is it how much money you make or or how large your stock portfolio can grow? How do you measure a life? What does it even mean to be alive? Is it just... Having a steady paycheck? Is it just getting all the laundry done? Is it just filling our bodies with calories so they keep ticking? Is life simply about a pulse? And on the other hand, is this eternal life Jesus came to give us just something that we receive after we die? Is it just hope for a better future once this earthly struggle is finally over? And whatever this life is that Jesus came to give us, how do we even get in on it? Well, in our text this morning, we are at the end of a conversation 
between Jesus and the Pharisee Nicodemus. Jesus has been trying to explain to him how to receive this life, but Nicodemus just can't seem to get it. And he finally says in frustration, how can these things be? See, Nicodemus had spent all of his years trying to achieve life by strictly obeying the Jewish law and religion. But even religion can become a barrier to life if it becomes an end in and of itself. And Jesus said to to the religious leaders, you search the scriptures because you think in them that you have eternal life. And it is they that testify on my behalf. Yet you refuse to come to me to have life. Jesus says that it's he and he alone who can give us this life that we are all yearning for, the life that we were created for, life that cannot be defeated by the darkness of disease or disappointment or divorce or death. And Jesus says that he knows what he's talking about because he's the only one who has ever come from heaven to show us who God is and what God's kingdom is all about and how to find life in his kingdom. I mean, this is the staggering miracle of the incarnation that we celebrate this month. Then that little baby lying in the manger, we see the human face of the eternal God. For in him, Paul says, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Therefore, we can trust what he says. We can believe in him. And by believing in him, we will find life. But be very sure in the gospel of John, believing is not a passive verb, is not simply intellectually assenting to a list of doctrines. No, it is It is making a choice and setting off on a journey, just like Jim McDonald did when he went off to the Dominican Republic to serve Jesus. Now, in the Gospel of John, believing is always an active verb, and that means that there's no sitting on the sidelines on this one. You see, Jesus' coming into this world creates a crossroads for all people where a decision is demanded. You cannot simply remain neutral about Jesus. For to not decide about Jesus is to decide. It's to decide not to commit yourself to following Him and putting your faith in Him. It's to decide that there's something else in this world that is more important, more valuable, more life-giving, more trustworthy than Jesus. And trust is really what believing is all about. It's putting all of your bets on one horse, trusting that the outcome of the race has already been determined. It's knowing that the ship you're on is sinking and trusting that the life raft you're stepping into will carry you safely home. And Jesus is inviting all of us to trust in him to save us and give us life. 
That's what Jesus was getting at with his reference to this strange story in the book of Numbers, where the Israelites refused to trust in God even after he brought them out of Egypt and provided for them in the wilderness. Instead, they just complained, and they complained, and then they complained some more. And so as a result, a a plague of poisonous serpents came and attacked the people, and many of them died. When the Israelites confessed their sin, and they pleaded with Moses to intercede for them, Moses built a serpent made out of bronze, and he put it on a pole and lifted it up high. So that when anyone was bitten by one of those snakes, if they would but go and look at that serpent, they would live. And Jesus says that just as that serpent was lifted up, so too would he be lifted up on the cross. And if anyone looks to the crucified but risen Savior and puts their trust in him, then they would also live. Except that this life would be eternal. Truth is, as a result of our sin, all of us have been bitten by the serpents, just like those Israelites, and we're all going to die. Do you ever think about that? Do you ever think about what's going to happen to you after you die? Are these few years we have on earth all there is? Or is there really life beyond the grave? According to our text, yes, there is. But again, action is necessary. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him, whoever puts their life in his hands, may not perish but have eternal life. By putting our trust in Jesus and looking to Jesus, just like those Israelites looked to that serpent in the wilderness, We participate in his life which has conquered death. And therefore, death is no longer the end of our story. Life does not end in a cemetery for those who believe. But this eternal life that Jesus came to give us, it's it's not exactly like the life that we know now. In fact, Paul says that after we die, we're actually going to get whole new bodies, just like Jesus did. Bodies that will no longer wear out or or, or get sick or or even die again. And, And we're going to be in the presence of God and all the saints who've gone before us celebrating at the marriage feast of the Lamb who was dead but is now alive forevermore. And Jesus assures us that because he lives, We know that we shall live also. But this is not something that we just have to wait until we die to experience. No, it's it's something that we can begin to experience right now. For when we surrender our lives to Jesus, Paul tells us that it is no longer just we who live, but Christ who lives within us. His own abundant eternal life becomes infused into ours. And so that we can begin to experience that life 
here and now. I believe that the secret to doing so is found in our text. For God so loved the world that He gave. It was God's gift of His only Son that ultimately gave us eternal life. Because in God's economy, giving leads to life. It's also the best indicator of what we really believe. Remember, believe is an action verb. So if you want to know what you believe, then look at what you give. And I believe that the more we give in grateful response to God's love made incarnate for us in Jesus Christ, then the more we participate in his resurrection life. You see, the real secret to life is becoming a a joyful, grateful, generous giver. The more giving you become, the more like Jesus you become, and the more alive you become. Even in the face of death. You know, today is the fifth anniversary of the death of my father-in-law, Bill Ager. And as I've been thinking this past week about Rebecca's dad, two things that struck me about him were his indomitable faith in Jesus Christ and his incredible generosity. Bill just gave of himself to others in so many ways. As a deacon in their congregation, by caring for older people in their community, through their tithing to their church and their other financial gifts to so many Christian organizations. And whenever Rebecca and I would thank her parents for their financial help to us, which they so frequently gave, Bill would always say, hey, This is God's money. It's not ours. We are just stewards of God's blessings. And we are so grateful that we get to share it and pass it on. And so I really shouldn't be surprised that even in the midst of a terrible illness, Bill's faith in Jesus never wavered. And he continued to find ways to give to others all the way to the end. And therefore, Bill was never defeated by his brain cancer. Because the risen Savior was alive within his generous heart. And death has no power over Jesus. So if you want to be fully alive, put your belief into action. Lift up your eyes to Jesus and start giving yourself away 
Just like Bill Ager did. Just like Jim McDonald did. Just like Jesus did. Now, I know that it's difficult to do a whole lot in the midst of a pandemic, but there's still so much that you can do. So start giving yourself away by reaching out to a lonely widow or widower periodically just to check in on them and see how they're doing. Let them know that someone's thinking about them. Make some meals for a family that's going through a crisis right now or, or commit yourself to pray every day for someone you know is struggling. Or be generous with the financial resources that God has given you so that this church might continue to grow and thrive and make a difference in the lives of so many people in the name of Jesus. Give what you have to the glory of God. You can't take it with you. And it has been given to you so that you might participate in the very life and ministry of Jesus Christ. And in doing so, you will discover more life than you ever thought possible. Life filled with with hope and peace, with freedom and joy. Life that begins right now and continues on into eternity. So what does it mean to be alive? How do you measure a life? By what you accumulate? No. By what you give. If you want to experience the abundant life, then start living for Jesus and participate in His life. Life by giving yourself away. Give away your time. Give away your money. Give away your heart. Surrender yourself, body and soul, to Jesus so that you might receive the gift of eternal life. Put your trust in Jesus. And start giving yourself away in his name. And because he lives, you will live also. Now and forevermore. Amen.